0: Joshua chapter 8 for our study this morning. Joshua 8. The nice thing about getting on your knees at home before the Lord is that you can put a pillow down first, yeah? So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 8 this morning as we continue through the book of Joshua. Starting over is difficult, it's humiliating, it's downright no fun. I think of, in our home and in our house, of some family games. And if you've got young kids, I think you can relate, especially if you've got three young daughters. When it's Cartier family game time, no doubt Candyland has to come out of the closet. And if it's been a little while since you've played Candyland, let me refresh you. You're trying to get to King Candy to win. And a family trait in our house is you always play to win. doesn't matter if you're three years old. I'm not giving you a free victory in Candyland, right? (laughs) So you're trying to get up there to, to King Candy. And then if you get the gumdrop guy, you've got to go almost all the way back to the very beginning of the game. And that's nothing compared to shoots and ladders. Oh, shoots and ladders. Man, the ladders are great. You zip right up. But if you look at the engineering of the game, as you're coming across the top to try to go to victory, you're going to hit a slide, aren't you? You're going to hit a shoot, and you're going to go way back down to the beginning of the game, and you're going to have to start over. As much as we don't like having to start over, it's a reality of our lives. We're going to have failure. We're going to have our own AI experience. Last week, we saw Israel face their first defeat. Joshua didn't pray. He didn't seek God's guidance. Achan walked in trespass and rebellion, and it affected the whole entire congregation of Israel. Good news, God's not done with Israel. He picks them up, he dusts them off. He says, okay, it's time for you to start over. In church, Rocky Mountain Calvary, in Christ Jesus, there's always the opportunity to start over. There's always the opportunity for God to rebuild our lives and he'll begin in the place where, where we compromise, till begin in the place where we experienced defeat. We're gonna look at three things this morning as we go through the first 30 verses of this chapter that I think are key principles for us in starting over and allowing the Lord to rebuild and restore our lives. Verse one of chapter eight, now the Lord said to Joshua, this is number one if you're taking notes and write it down is, if we're gonna start over, is we've got to hear God's instruction. This is what's changed from chapter seven, is they didn't hear God's instruction. Now Joshua's listening. Many times in our lives, after we have failed, after we've experienced defeat, death and destruction, we go, God, I'm ready to listen. You've got my attention. You have my ear. I want to hear what you would say and what you would speak to me. God's always longing to give wisdom. He's always longing to give guidance. He would have liked for Israel and Joshua to seek this guidance in chapter seven, but it's never too late. James chapter one tells us whoever lacks wisdom, I can fit that criteria. I lack wisdom. Whoever lacks wisdom, let him ask and God will give it generously, liberally. He longs to provide that wisdom if we'll ask in faith and not be double-minded. More than any other generation, we have tremendous access to the Word of God. We're blessed. I remember when I first started following the Lord and got excited and geeked out about the Scriptures, my parents exposed me to a Strong's Concordance. You remember those? This big, huge volume they put in my hands. And if you wanted to look up a verse on anger or forgiveness or bitterness or grace, You look it up in the Strong's Concordance, in the old King James version, and it would tell you all the places in Scripture that the word grace was used. And if you're really fanatical, then you could look in the back of the Strong's Concordance and look it up in Greek or Hebrew, based if you're in the New Testament or the Old Testament. If you're still using a Strong's Concordance, I got to tell you, there's a much easier way today because of the internet, Right? You go to BibleGateway.com and church, there's no excuses. You type in the word bitterness and every place that it's listed in scripture, it comes up in a millisecond. Bam, it's there. No longer can we sit back in our comfort and say, I don't really know what God has to say about this struggle that I'm going through. Because I can go on to Bible Gateway or some other search engine. And before you know it, it's listed there for me. Can go to blueletterbible.com and look it up in Greek and look it up in Hebrew. We have access to the word of God, but do we have the hunger and the brokenness to really want to know what he has to say? You know your AI. I know my AI. And we know from last week's study, our AI is not hidden. And as we deal with the sin and repentance, then we continue on in this process of restoration. and We get along with God We do the work, we search out the scriptures, and hear what God has to say. Also a consistent devotional life as you read through books of the Bible, I have found that where I am in my devotions, a lot of times is right where I am at life. Say I'm reading through Proverbs, and exactly what I need to hear as I take the time to read the Proverbs. Hearing God's voice, hearing his instruction, is the key to starting over, is the key to God rebuilding our lives. We experience defeat because we departed from his instruction. We'll experience victory as we hear his instruction. This is what God has to say to Israel. Don't be afraid nor be dismayed. Whenever God says that to a group of people, it's because they're afraid and they're discouraged. They're dismayed. Otherwise, God wouldn't say it. We can relate. Can you relate? If you've failed in a particular area, if I've failed in a particular area, the last thing I want to do is go back to AI and start over and deal with it. And as I approach this area of my life, I get fearful. I get discouraged. Doubt comes in and God's there. Our good shepherd saying, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I'm with you. I can bring victory in this area of defeat. This encouragement is, would have brought Joshua back to his commission when God said, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Is there fear and discouragement that's keeping you from starting over? That's keeping you in that place of defeat and destruction? Let's go on and continue with verse one. Take all the people of war with you, arise and go up to Ai. God says, Joshua, this time when you go into Ai, be all in. Don't go 80%, don't go 20%, don't be overconfident, take every resource, take every warrior and go after AI. And as God builds us up in an area of weakness, I think it does take for us to press in and put everything towards that particular area in our life. See, I've given into your hand, the king of AI, his people, his city, and his land. Take special note of this. God's saying, remember my promises and my power. This is good news. God's promises towards Israel didn't change even though they messed up. (laughs) A lot of times we think if we mess up, if we sin, we walk in rebellion, that God's promises towards us have changed. God wants us to deal with the sin. There's the importance of repentance and getting right with the Lord. But as we come to him, His promises for us haven't changed. And God reminds us of that. Look, this is what I desire to do. I desire for you to have victory in this area of your life, to not continue to walk in anger or lust or covetousness or drunkenness or sexual immorality. These are my promises and this is my power. Please don't mishear this or misunderstand this. This is God's work. This is God's power. It's not Israel doing this on their own. We can't experience victory on our own apart from God's power and apart from God's promises. In verse two, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourself. That's just a hard word to read. That doesn't translate very well, does it? (laughs) Booty has a whole nother connotation in our culture today. It's the spoil. You can take the spoil for yourself lay an ambush for the city behind it. If Achan would have only waited, Jericho was the first fruits. Now as they enter into these other cities, the spoil belonged to the children of Israel. Notice that God has a different game plan here. Jericho was miraculous. Walk around the walls seven times, shout, they come down on the seventh day. This time, God's using military strategy. He's saying, Joshua, I want you to form an ambush as you take on AI. God very rarely does the same thing twice. When you're looking through the Gospels, he does a unique work in each person's life. He doesn't change. His word doesn't change. But how he brings about victory is always different. And a lot of times we look and we go, well, that's how God worked in that person's life. Or that's how God worked in in that church. Or this is how God worked in my life 20 years ago. And we take the Jericho stamp and we try to stamp it on every challenge that we have and it doesn't work. We've got to listen for the voice of God. God, what do you want in this situation? What do you want in this time? What are you doing? One of the things that we strive to do here as a church and please pray for us in this, is we don't want to take what we did last year as a church family and just automatically, without seeking the Lord, say, well, we did in 2012, we're going to do in 2013. And we go, well, we did it in 2011, we did it in 2010, and we're just going to always continue to do it. Like this week was a great week. We had vacation Bible school, VBS, and God really blessed it and moved And I think it was one of the best VBSs that we've ever had. And thank you, thank you, thank you for those of you that served to make that happen. There was hundreds of kids here, and God was impacting their hearts and lives for eternity. But I've got to tell you, it's not a guarantee that we're going to do it next summer because we've got to stop and pray as we plan out the year's calendar and say, God, what do you have for us? And if he gives us peace and encourages us in it, we'll do it again but he may be leading and guiding in something new because we don't want to just take that stamp and put it over next year's calendar. We want to seek his heart. And the same is true in all of our lives. It's a completely different game plan here when it comes to AI. We're going to look at verse three through verse eight. I'm going to read with me. So Joshua arose and all of the people of war to go up against AI. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them saying, behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And it will come about when they come out against us at the first that we shall flee before them. For they will come out, after us, till we've drawn them from the city, for they will say, They are fleeing before us as at the first, therefore we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand, and it will be when you have taken the city that you will set the city on fire, according to the command of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. So point number two for consideration is this, is map out a plan. Map out a plan based on God's instruction. That's what Joshua does here. God says, I want you to set an ambush. So Joshua puts together the plan. I am not a man of war. I have not served our country overseas and some of our, our conflicts as I look out in our congregation. I know that some of you are. And you can relate to a general, a commanding officer saying, here's the battle plan. To me, it seems hugely important. If I think of military operations, it seems like it would rise and fall by good leadership. Really searching out and putting things into practice. I can relate to the sports world. And a lot of times, great teams are well coached. And they've got a plan and they know how to execute the plan. And see, church, we've got a real enemy that wants to come against us, and we've got to map out a plan as well. We've got to hear God's instruction and then put together a plan. Joshua's plan was to split up the warriors into two groups. And first group of warriors would come to the city, and then they would run away. And God's actually going to use their failure. God will use everything. And AI goes, we've been here before. We've done this before. We've got these guys and run out in overconfidence. Then the second group of soldiers comes in, takes the city, lights it on fire. And then you've got the men of AI, the warriors of AI. They're sandwiched. They're trapped in between the two. And this was the plan. Can I ask you a question this morning? In your own AI... In the place where you've experienced defeat, have you mapped out a plan? We know it's a weakness. I know my weaknesses. You know your weaknesses. So what is a plan that we would have? And I think God in his word actually gives us a plan of how to handle temptation. I want to take a few moments to to lay that out. And the first thing that we need to do in our plan is take the first exit of escape. When you're coming into Colorado Springs, say you're coming from Monument and you're driving into Colorado Springs, there's several exits. I think the first official exit inside of the city limits may be Briar Gate or Interquest. You come past that brown sign that says Colorado Springs. I don't know why we're known as the colorful state. Does that ever bother you a little bit? You know, like our state logo is like the colorful state. We're the brown state. You know what I'm saying? We're the Rocky Mountain state. But anyway, so we've got our brown sign and we come into Colorado Springs and there's that first exit that you, you may take. And when we're on the highway of temptation, we need to take the first exit of escape. That's what the Lord has provided for us. That has to be our plan. And first Corinthians 10:13 it says, no temptation has overtaken you, except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God will always provide the way of escape. So we're being tempted. The first thing that we do is we run from that temptation. Remember Joseph with Potiphar's wife? She's trying to seduce him and he doesn't stay there and go, Well, I'm just going to hang out here because I'm a godly man and I can resist temptation. He knew his own weakness and victory was to flee from that temptation as quick as possible. We take the first exit of escape, but then we run to Jesus. In Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted just like us for temptation to be a temptation it has to be a temptation that's profound isn't it for temptation to be a temptation it has to be a temptation let me give you an illustration if I go over to King Supers here in just a moment after church it's not a temptation to overeat on asparagus it's just not you know I could could even buy them out of asparagus and take it all home and I'm not going to overeat on asparagus. That is not a temptation. But the ice cream is a temptation. On these hot summer days, yeah? Yes and amen. It's very easy to buy a half gallon of ice cream for me and eat it in one sitting, right? So what I want us to understand is God... In human flesh, all God, all man, allowed himself to be tempted. In his humanity, he was actually tempted to where now he knows exactly what it feels like. So I'm in the midst of temptation. I want to run to Jesus knowing he understands. And verse 16 of Hebrews 4 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We run right into the presence of God the very throne room of God. We say, Jesus, I know you understand this. Would you please help? And he'll give the grace and the mercy. And we want to use the power of the word in mapping out a plan. Psalms 119 verse 11 says, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Sometimes God's word in our hands, God's word on a three by five card on our phone isn't close enough. We need God's word in our heart. So we do the work beforehand. We've got this area of struggle in our lives. We memorize some verses on anger. We memorize some verses on lust. We memorize some verses on unforgiveness. Then when the temptation comes, we use the power of the word. When Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter four by Satan in the wilderness, how did he overcome temptation? Every time he quoted scripture and he didn't quote a whole entire chapter. He quoted small sentences of scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. He gave us an example that we can follow where we can have God's word ready and use in that time of temptation. If we continue to experience defeat in our lives, we need to step back this morning and go, God, I want to hear your instruction and I want to map out a plan so that when the temptation comes, we already know what we're going to do. Because if you're like me, if I haven't decided in the sanctuary, then it's too late in the time of temptation. If I don't decide beforehand, then when I come to the temptation, I'm just going to give in to the sin. In verse 9, Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Our third point is take action. It's very simple, but this is where the rubber meets the road. Joshua had heard from the Lord. He'd mapped out a plan, but now he takes action. He's actually sending out the men for ambush. And we're going to see action after action after action in these next few verses. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and he mustered the people. And then later he was going to catch up the people and mayonnaise the people. But here he mustered the people, okay? (laughs) Okay. That was for your 4th of July barbecue. (laughs) That was for free, just for free, right there. And went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai. This great general, he rallies the troops. The greater than Jesus rallies us to start over, rallies us to get up and to begin again. Maybe you're struggling throughout this message of saying, I just don't want to start over. I've heard it so many times that I can have victory in these areas of struggle, and I've tried, and I've failed, and I've tried, and I've failed. That process is going to continue to happen, but it's important for us to get up, to start over, and to seek the victories that only God can bring in our lives. And you know what rallies me, what rallies us? It's not motivational talks. It's not pastors screaming and yelling, it's Jesus. As he hangs upon the cross, it's our loving savior who comes to us in the stillness of the night and says, I love you, I died for you, and I want something better for your life, and I can bring victory in this area of defeat. Jesus musters the people, Jesus rallies the people. The action that takes place in verse 11, read with me down to verse 14, And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near, and they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley." Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He and all of his people at an appointed place before the plain, but he didn't know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. So the enemy takes the bait. The enemy's overconfident here. Verse 15, And Joshua and all of Israel made as if they were beaten before them, and they fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who didn't go up after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward toward the city. I love this. In the midst of the battle, in the midst of this chaos, and all these warriors, and the men of Ai coming out, and they're, they're fleeing away, Joshua has the sensitivity to hear God's voice. See, he got God's instruction before he went into battle, but now as he's implementing the plan, as he's taking action, he's open to God speaking to him. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you and knows us better than we know ourselves, and the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us and say, hey, be careful. Don't deal with your kids right now, because if you do, you're going to lose your temper, and you're going to sin in your anger. The Holy Spirit's going to speak to us and say, I see those thoughts. I see your eyes, and you need to turn away. Now's the time to turn away. See how it's God speaking to us in the midst of the battle? I really need that in the midst of temptation, in the midst of the battle, to have the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and have my ears be in a place that I'm listening. I think that the Holy Spirit has a lot more to say to us than a lot of times we're willing to hear. How do you know if it's the Holy Spirit? How do you know if it's God speaking to you? Because it's gonna line up with the word. It's gonna line up with, with Jesus Christ. Try it out today. It's amazing as we hear messages like this. We could have a challenging afternoon, right? We're in the midst of the battle. Don't do it alone. God's leading and guiding and directing in the midst of the battle. Verse 19 So those in the ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on their pursuers. Can you imagine? You're thinking, oh, we've got the upper hand. These guys are running. And you look back and you go, who just blew up our city? What's happening? And here's all these warriors that are inside your city walls. And they look, they're trapped this way. They look, they're trapped that way. And the ambush worked. verse 21, now when Joshua and all of Israel saw that ambush and had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they struck them down. So they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. Saul, King Saul failed at this moment in a battle that the Lord had given to him, and he spared the king. But Joshua is going to obey completely in verse 24. And it came to pass when Israel made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, where they pursued them. And when they'd fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua didn't draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the spear until he'd utterly destroyed all of the inhabitants of Ai. He completely obeyed after the sin of Achan, it's imprinted on their hearts and their mind of a complete obedience to the Lord. Scripture tells us in James chapter one, to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers. If we're just hearers, we're like someone who looks at themselves in the mirror and forgets what they look like. Sometimes that would be a nice option, really, you know, but we can't forget what we, we look like. And so God's word's a mirror, And it exposes what we look like. And instead of just ignoring that, then to be a doer of God's word. What is it that God's been speaking to your heart in this area of weakness that you have? As you've mapped out a plan, then take action. Has the Lord been putting on your heart to spend time in the word? Then do it. Has the Lord been encouraging you to do a Bible study with your teenage daughter and say, hey, look, Monday nights is our night. and We're gonna have date night. These are some things that I want to share with you as your dad, as as your mom. You know, because God challenged you with some things out of chapter 7 from last week, and yet you find yourself another Sunday morning, and really action hasn't taken place. It's, It's time to take action. It's the action that's the difficult part, but that's where the blessings come. We think about as December approaches, it seems like six months goes so fast, half of this year is over. What generally happens in December we eat way too much, don't we? I mean, there, there's just so much good food around Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it's cold outside. I mean, what else are you going to do? But eat a lot, right? And then drink a gallon of coffee and have some good yummy stuff. And so then what happens in January? We all get back to the gym. We're like, I got to go back to the gym. And 24-hour fitness sells all these memberships, and it's crazy for two or three weeks. And then by Valentine's Day, it's all gone, right? We really haven't taken permanent action. I've been trying to exercise a little bit more, not because I like it, but because it's necessary. And I'll do good for a couple months and then I'll slack off for a month. And it's like, I gotta get get back to this. But it's important for us in our lives to step forward and do the things that the Lord has placed on us. Now, did you notice we just read some pretty intense verses, Women, children, 12,000 people killed with the edge of the sword. And that causes some questions, doesn't it? And they usually go something like this. How could a God of love order judgment on a city of Ai, a whole group of people, including women and children? You've got to understand that God had given them 400 years to repent. We know that from Genesis, that they were filled with wickedness, idolatry, even killing their own children, putting their children through the fire, offering them to idols. And the question that I want us to consider is who deserves to die? Who deserves to die? Some names might come to mind. Who comes to your mind? Adolf Hitler, he, he deserves to die. Stalin, he, he deserves to die. Jeffrey Dahmer, he, he deserves to die. Well, let me give you a few more names. Billy Graham, he deserves to die. Alistair Begg, he deserves to die, a great Bible teacher. Every single one of us, I deserve to die. Why? Because that's the truth of God's word. We find in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We go on to Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin. You want to circle wages. Wages is something you deserve. If you go to work, you deserve a paycheck. Our wages before God is death. Spiritual separation from God for all of eternity. Thankfully, the scripture goes on. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So a better question to ask is not who deserves to die, but who deserves to live? Who deserves to live for all of eternity? None of us. The only way that we can live for all of eternity is through that gift of Jesus Christ for him to die upon the cross for our sins. I desire for us to be equipped in this because I think it's a question that you're going to wrestle with but also a question that you're going to deal with with people that don't know Christ as their savior. So write down a couple of verses. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 32 says this, "For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies," says the Lord. "Therefore turn and live." Don't get the wrong impression of God. He doesn't delight in giving judgment. He doesn't take pleasure when someone has to experience his judgment. Ezekiel 33 verse 11 says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It doesn't please God at all. He doesn't want any to perish. That's why he gave his son. It's like this. What if I came to you and I said, you know what? My family and I, we've decided that we want you to live in our home. We've got some pretty good food. It's not the best food, but it, it is great food. My wife's a great cook, and sometimes I even cook some gourmet things like tacos and spaghetti but we, we want you to come live in our house and we've got a got an extra bedroom we've got this far, far out idea we'll even let you take showers for free we're not going to charge you for showers even with the water restrictions you take a shower and all of a sudden your utility bill bink you're over the limit and you're like man my utility bill is a fourth of my mortgage What in the world's happening? But we're going to give you free showers. You can take as many showers as you would would like to have. And on top of that, we don't want you to just be a guest. We want you to be a Cartier. We want you to be a part of our family. We're going to love you and care for you, and you're going to be one of the own. But the only way that that's going to happen is our youngest child, Wyatt. He's going to have to die in order for you to be able to enter into the family. And I think you get the idea. God says, I want you to be part of my house. I want you to come into my house. And not just come into my house, but I want you to be my daughter. And I want you to be my son. And I want you to be my joint heir with my son, with Christ. And in order for that to happen, I'm going to have to give my son to die upon the cross, a brutal death to pay the price for sin. Now, if somebody who doesn't want Jesus, if they want to mock at Jesus, if they want to disrespect Jesus, if they want to call God all kinds of bad names because of his justice, then that's up to them. But it's not unjust for God then to bring his justice on somebody who doesn't want anything to do with Christ. Who are we to judge the judge when the judge is God? And he's perfect. He's perfect. And he's holy, and he's provided this means of salvation. The last three verses. Only the livestocks and the spoil that city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this place. And the king of Ai, he hanged on the tree until evening." As soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. We're gonna stop here. Please read ahead as we'll finish the chapter next week. I wanna leave you with this verse out of Philippians chapter three, verse 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Would you stand with me and let's pray together?